Lord, we've declared you're worthy of worship, you're worthy of praise, you're worthy of honor, you're worthy of thanks. Lord, we continue to declare that. You're worthy of worship. You're so worthy, Lord. Sometimes it feels like it feels like you're wandering. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you don't know exactly where you're going. But it's not until you turn and you look behind you. And what do you see when you look behind you? You weren't wandering all along, were you? It's not until we look back that we see um, that we see a clear, a prepared path um, that is showered with the flowers of God's kindness. 
And so just as, as we get ready to, to look into God's Word this morning, I just uh, I can't help thinking back um, to, what, four years and 50 weeks ago? Um, two, weeks, two weeks short of five years ago, um, where my, my path converged with First Baptist Church Pineville. And, and as I look back over the past five years of my life, God has been incredibly gracious to me. And I just, just as, as we get ready to look in the Word of God, I just want you to know that so much of that kindness has been mediated to me through this church. And I, I can't help but thinking about what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, where his desire is that the churches is that their hearts would be knit together in love. And I just want you to know that I, I feel that for you guys as this congregation. And so, as uh, this, this week... Um, our paths will diverge again. And the, the mission will carry on for both of us. We'll just carry out the mission in different places. And so I was thinking about a text of scripture for us to look at together this morning. Um, I wanted to find a text um, that would be for, for both of us. Um, a, a text that, that kind of would help uh, me present to you what I feel my calling is. And the passion of my life. And also help us set your eyes on the mission. And so the passion of my life and my calling is to understand and teach Scripture. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to build an, a doctrine and an understanding of, of Scriptures and their role in our lives. So if you would open up with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 14. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, completely equipped for every good work. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a clear understanding of what this text says to us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would move us beyond um, understanding to obedience and worship. And so bless this time. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All right, so as we come to 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, the main idea is here in verse 14. The, the, the main idea is whenever Paul tells Timothy, he says this, he says, remain in what you've been taught and have been firmly convinced of. And then he goes on from there and he explains how this is going to happen in detail. So kind of our plan of attack this morning as we approach this passage of Scripture is we're actually, we're going to look at the details first and then at the end, we're going we're gonna to kind of zoom out and catch the big picture, okay? So Timothy is supposed to continue in what he's learned and been convinced of. And Paul says the first way that he does this is this. He says, knowing from whom you learned it. Remember who you learned the scriptures from is what Paul says. Now, whenever we read this and we say, remember from whom you learned it, uh, we would think that this is probably Paul talking about himself. But what's, what's pretty neat that's going on here is that actually like in the original text, uh, whom is plural. So it's more than one person. So it's not just Paul in view. And he goes on right after this and when he talks about how Timothy has been familiar with the scriptures since childhood. And so actually, I think that what Paul's talking about, he's not just talking about his own ministry to Timothy, his own teaching the word to Timothy. He's talking about another group. Turn with me to your left to 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. It's just a couple pages staying in the same book. Paul says to Timothy there, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in, your, in you as well. And so whenever he says, remember from whom you learned uh, gospel truths, he, he's referring to, to the whole of Timothy's experience, the whole of his teaching from childhood till now. And I think with a special emphasis on the role that his family played in his spiritual upbringing. And so he points us to uh, the mediators of Scripture. And so just as we're looking at this, 
I just want to encourage you guys, let's just stop for a second and give thanks to God for the people in your life who taught you the word. Remember those people. If, if you're a note taker and you're taking notes, just jot down those names and give thanks to the Lord. Um, and as I'm standing up here thinking, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for my parents um, who, just, who taught me to revere scripture, to treasure it. I'm thankful for men like uh, Benji Lloyd and Charlie Bailey who invested in me as a high school upperclassman at Dry Creek Baptist Church. They have a whole lot to do with, with why I am where I am right now. I think, about, I think about some of the men who trained me at Louisiana College to understand scripture better. I think about getting to sit under Brother Stewart's ministry for five years. And I just think it's fitting to give thanks for those people. To remember those who taught us the word. And so as we look at this, we should also see this as a model for ourselves as well. So give thanks. And then would you resolve to build a legacy of Bible teaching especially in your family. Think about all the things that you can give to your kids. Cars, college, all those kinds of things. How small do they seem whenever it's placed up against the context of giving your students, your children, a love for God's word. And so the first thing we see in this passage is the mediators of scripture and it calls us to give thanks for those who handed down the Bible to you. And then commit yourself to build a legacy of teaching the Bible in your own family and in, and in mentoring relationships as well. So he says this, he says, knowing from whom you learned it. And then Paul goes on after this and he says a little bit more about the nature of Scripture. He says, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Then he says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so basically what, what Paul does here is he gets this down to what is the central message of the Bible. If you could boil the Bible down, what's it, what's it really about at heart? Think about it like this. Um, how many of you guys like Chick-fil-A? Any Chick-fil-A fans in the crowd? I love Chick-fil-A, okay? Sir and I eat at Chick-fil-A a lot, okay? And uh, well, Sarah grocery shops at Kroger, so it's really, it's really convenient just to move on over to Chick-fil-A. Okay, so Chick-fil-A, you've got Chick-fil-A's like all over the country. There's tons of Chick-fil-A's. You have all these different things you can get there. But if you could boil Chick-fil-A down to three words, what would it be? Eat more chicken, right? Eat more chicken um, with, uh, with, with no E on more and chicken is C-H-I-K-I-N, right? That's Chick-fil-A, right? So you take this huge, this huge entity, but you can boil it down to three words. Well, think about it the same way with the scriptures. The scriptures is this, this vast collection of writings, beautiful and complex. Yet Paul says here that we can, um, that, that the center of it all is this, is that it is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So there's four parts there. First of all, he says that the scriptures make us wise. It teaches wisdom. But wisdom for a certain end, and that is for salvation. The scriptures are intended to lead us to salvation. This is so huge because what I want you to see is that the Bible is not just a rule book for us to follow. So we wouldn't say like, like whenever you read the Bible, God's desire isn't for you to read it with the mindset of just do it. It's more than just rules. It's not like a car manual that just tells you what to do. The scriptures, they're, they're, they're not even just a collection of doctrine. It's not like reading a, a the, just a theology book. But the scriptures at their heart is the story of God redeeming his fallen creation. And it is about God saving a people for his own glory. And so as, as we come to the scriptures, what I want you to see is that scripture is first and foremost about the gospel. It's about salvation. And it leads us there. And it does tell us to keep its rules. And it does tell us to obey God but it puts it in the framework of God's work of salvation in our life. And so he says, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. And how is it that we receive this salvation? By faith. By faith. And so we see the message of the Bible is not that we become right with God by obeying his laws. Because it actually says that we've, we've broken his laws but that we stand in rela right relationship to God by trusting in his promises. 
I think about it. I love this song by Isaac Watts, uh, I Boast No More. I want to read you one of the verses from it where he says this. The best obedience of my hands dares not appear before thy throne. But faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. And so the message of the Bible is that we are saved by faith. And when we talk about faith, one of the things that I... I hate about the way that our culture treats faith is that, I don't know about you guys, but when I think like American culture, when we think of faith, like I just get this image of like this poster with like Santa Claus, like drinking a Coke bottle and it says believe on the top of it. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's kind of, that's kind of the way that a lot of our culture perceives of faith. But what I want you to see is that the faith we're talking about here, it's not wishy-washy faith. It's firm founded faith with a definite direction. It's faith in Christ Jesus. That the gospel is centered around a person. There's one hero of the Bible, and his name's Jesus. And so for us to experience salvation, we must come to a place of faith in Jesus. Specifically based on who he is and what he's done. And so the, the simplest way that I know to break down just, just the essentials of who Jesus is and what he's done is basically three things Jesus is. Jesus is God. He deserves our worship. Jesus is Savior. He deserves our trust. And Jesus is our King. He demands our obedience. And then what has Jesus done for us? There's three things Jesus has done for us. Jesus uh, lived the life that you couldn't live. Jesus died the death you should have died. And God has raised him from the dead and he's returning soon. That is the message of the gospel. That is the center of the Bible. So Paul points Timothy to the central message of Scripture. Salvation through faith in Christ. So if Chick-fil-A could be boiled down to eat more chicken, then I would say that the Scriptures should be boiled down to faith in Christ. That's where they're directing us, from Genesis to Revelation. And so, the message of Scripture, treasure the gospel in the Bible. And so Paul goes on after this into verse 16, and he's going to go a little bit deeper into the exact nature of Scripture. And I love what he says here. Uh, how many of you guys like Dr. Seuss? I, I'm, I'm a really big nerd, so you guys can see. I love Dr. Seuss, okay? And I think probably my favorite thing about Dr. Seuss, and I'm really jealous of this, if Dr. Seuss is writing a poem... And he gets, he gets in a tight spot with his rhyming scheme, okay? He can't think of a word to rhyme with whatever's in line A. What's, what does he do to make a rhyme? He invents a word, right? Isn't that incredible? Right, I, so I love that about Dr. Seuss. What we see here is that uh, Paul says right here, he says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Um, Paul's actually the first person to ever use this word as far as we know. So there's a really good possibility that Paul did what? There's a good possibility Paul invented this word. How cool is that? And so what this word is, basically, he, it's, two, it's a compound word. Um, and it's basically a combination of the words uh, God and breathe. And so it, it's such a, such a creative, beautiful way to describe where the source of Scripture, that God has breathed out his word. So that, uh, metaphorically speaking, whenever we inhale the words of Scripture... We're inhaling the very breath of God. Isn't that rich? And so this speaks to what we would call the inspiration of Scripture. And so what I want to encourage you to do is as we think about what does it mean that what we have in the text of Scripture in front of us is actually breathed out by God, how should that affect the way that we treat it? Think about it like this. If you were to tomorrow to drive down to Lifeway in Alexandria, and you were to go into Lifeway, um, how much would a Bible cost you? Well, it depends on what Bible you get, right? You could get like a pocket Bible for maybe like 5 or $10, or you could get like a calfskin leather study Bible for like 150 okay? So anywhere, anywhere in that scale right there, you could spend on, on buying a Bible. But what is a Bible worth? What's its true value? You can't put a price tag on the words of God. Do you treasure the Bible? Do you treasure it like it's more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. So treasure the scriptures. And then also, 
Because the Bible is God's word. We don't stand above it as a judge, picking and choosing what we like. We sit below it as a student and as a servant. And so what, with what position do you approach the scriptures in your life? I, had, uh, I, was, I was saved whenever I was six years old, but I experienced at age 16 almost what I would call my, my second conversion. I don't, I don't believe in a second conversion, but I, I would almost call it, it was just a radical turning point in my walk with the Lord. What happened whenever I was 16 years old is I, I, I made a resolution um, that from that point on for the rest of my life, I would test every belief and, and every practice by Scripture. I was basically, I was going to kind of question everything according to the word. And that's a journey I'm still on, and I'll be on that journey for the rest of my life. But the reason why that was such a radical turning point in my life is effectively what I, what I did that, that night, I made that commitment, is I determined that for the rest of my life, I would seek to sit under the word. And so we see in 2 Timothy 3.16, the inspiration of scripture, and what it calls us to do treasure the Bible as divine revelation and then submit to the Bible's authority. Submit to it. And so we've come, we've come so far, we've come to 2 Timothy 3.16. You guys know this is a very well-known verse. And usually whenever we talk about this, we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture or something like that. And what we usually do is we get really excited, we have our discussion right here, and then we, and then we stop right there. But what I want you to see is that Paul says more about the nature of Scripture after this. And in fact, it's on the next point that the weight of the passage falls. And I think it's the one that we miss. So listen to what Paul says. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and useful. So Scripture is God-breathed and Scripture is useful. And I think this challenges, this challenges our attitude towards Scripture. Because how many of you have either heard the statement made or made the statement yourself? You talk about, yes, we need to study the Bible, but what we really need is more practical teaching. We all know this statement. What does that statement imply? That a deeper understanding of the Bible is not practical. You guys hear, what, you guys hear that? You see how that's implied in that statement? Here's my question. What is more practical and useful than a word from God? So we see this, that, that the scriptures are practical, the scriptures are useful. And how arrogant are we to think that we know better than God what is useful for our life. And so we see that the scriptures are useful. They are practical. And so I, I'd like to think if we were to this morning gather everybody in Alexandria and Pineville who's going to be in, in, a, in a church service today, we were to gather everybody in one room. That'd be a lot of people, right? That'd be several thousand people. And I were to, and I were to stand up before them and say, um, how many of you uh, believe that the Bible is inspired by God? How many hands do you think, I, how many hands do y'all think would go up? Probably a large majority of hands would go up, right? Probably most people sitting in church today believe that the Bible is God's word. But then let's follow it up with a second question. Let's say I followed it up with this and I said, how many of you daily make time to read God's word? How many hands will go up then? Far less. Far less hands will go up. And so I wanted to show you guys uh, a, a survey that uh, Lifeway Research did. You guys can see they, they interviewed about, uh, about 3,000 Protestant churchgoers on how often they read scripture. You can see it's all over the map. But about 40% of Protestant churchgoers read the Bible on either a monthly or less than monthly basis. And so I wanted to point this out because what I want you to see is that there is a gap between our belief and our practice. Do you see that? So what we say about the Bible with our mouths, but what we do with our use of it, often contradict one another. And so what I want to challenge you to do, close the gap. Close the gap. Recognize the, the rich resource that you have in God's word. And recognize that not only did God inspire it, 
but he made it useful for your life. So let's use it. Let's close that gap. And so I think about it like this. Um, this summer, I got the opportunity to take our graduating seniors on a mission trip to New York City. And you guys are going to hear a little bit more about that tonight. But I want to show you guys a picture. Um, this is from uh, what's called a Gurudwara. And this is basically uh, a Sikh temple. I don't know how many of you guys, uh, you're actually going to get to hear more about who Sikhs are tonight. But a Sikhism is the world's fifth largest religion. It's an Indian religion. And basically, Sikhism, in like 30 seconds, is um, it's a pretty new religion. It's only about 1,000 years old. And it's based on the teachings of these nine gurus, okay? But what Sikhism did is they took the teaching of the nine gurus, and then they compiled it in a book. And then they call that book the 10th guru, okay? There's a Sikhism 101 for you, okay? And so what you have here, this is inside of a Sikh temple. And what you can't see, but on the back side of this shrine... The book is there, this, this holy book of the Sikhs. And we actually got to go in, into this temple. And whenever we went in there, we watched these men who would go in there and worship. And, and a couple of guys did this. They would walk around the back to where the book was, and they picked up this, it looked like a swishy feather duster, okay? And they basically, they stood, they stood in front of this book, and they just swished their feather duster back and forth in front of it, like 35 times, something like that. I had no clue what was going on. And so we asked somebody later, and it turns out actually what they do is part of their worship is they switch the feather duster in front of their book so that no dust gets on it. Um, I think about it like this. We, we met a, a young teenage uh, boy who was a Muslim there in New York who he was memorizing portions of the Quran in Arabic. Um, but guess what he doesn't speak? He doesn't speak Arabic. He has no clue what he's memorizing. So what I want you to see is these are two examples of people showing reverence for their holy book. But the way that we show reverence for the Bible, the Christian idea of revering our book, is completely different, isn't it? I personally don't care if you dust your Bible at night before you go to bed. It's meaningless to me. We show honor for God's word by using it. By mining its resources. Scripture is useful. What's it useful for? And Paul gives us a list of things here. He says it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so basically uh, what this means is teaching is doctrinal instruction, teaching you right beliefs. Reproof, doctrinal correction, correcting false beliefs. Correction is moral correction, correcting false behavior. Training in righteousness is moral instruction, teaching us the right way to live. So what you see is basically is that Scripture uh, hones and directs both our thinking and our living. And so it is useful to guide both the way that we think about God and the way that we live out the gospel in our lives. So that's what it's useful for. And then he says this. He says that the man of God may be complete, completely equipped for every good work. Now, in the immediate context, Paul's talking about Timothy here. He's saying, Timothy, Scripture is sufficient to completely prepare you for your ministry. Scripture is sufficient for all that God has called you to do, is what Paul's saying. It is enough to make you complete. What I want you to see is that in context, Timothy's then supposed to pass this on to other people. He's supposed to then use the Scriptures in the lives for others. So I think this teaches not only that Scripture is sufficient for Timothy's life, but also that it's sufficient for our lives. And so what I want to bring you guys to and why this is so important for us to see is see that the scriptures are powerful to accomplish spiritual maturity in our lives. And so often whenever we come to this passage, we, we, we like to rally our cries about the inspiration of scripture but we miss that the emphasis of this passage is on the sufficiency of Scripture. And though we often get our doctrine of Scripture correct, we often fail to trust in the power and sufficiency of the Word. And so, for example, we, though we believe that the Bible is God's Word, sometimes we ultimately don't trust in it to accomplish what God has called us to do. And sometimes we can misplace our trust in good things 
but not the thing that God directs us to. Sometimes we can place our trust in things like facilities and money and marketing and personalities. But that is not the power of Christian ministry, is it? The word is sufficient. What's it sufficient for? We see in the passage, he says this, the scriptures are able to do two things. They're able to make you wise for salvation, so to lead you to faith in Christ, to win the lost. And then the scriptures are sufficient to make the man of God complete, to bring us to spiritual maturity. So the scriptures are sufficient for evangelism and discipleship. And so what we see here is that the emphasis of this passage is on the sufficiency of Scripture. And our response to it should be this. First of all, appropriate, appropriate the riches of the Bible. Close that gap between belief and practice. And then the second thing is that it should call us to do is this. Trust in the power of the Bible. So that's the details that we see here in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. What Paul's doing is he's saying, Timothy, do this. You need to remain in what you've been taught. Stay in what you've become convinced of. And to help Timothy do this, he directs his attention. He says, remember the mediators of Scripture. Remember the people who taught you the Word. Remember the message of the Word, the message of the Gospel. Remember the source of the Word, that Scripture is inspired by God. And remember the power of the word, that it is sufficient to make you complete for every good work. And now what I want us to do is I want us to take that, I'd like to imagine like it's, like it's Google Earth, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to click on the minus sign. And so we're going to zoom back and we're going to see what the big picture is here. See, because I think with 2 Timothy chapter 3, there, there are two commands that are the key to the chapter. And one of the commands is in verse 14, where Paul tells Timothy, remain in what you've learned. But the other command is in verse 1. So look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, but understand this. That's your command, understand. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So Paul says, Timothy, in the last days there will be difficult times. And whenever you and I think about the last days, we think like we're going to left behind mode, right? That's usually where our mind goes. What I want you to see is that whenever Scripture talks about the last days, what it's talking about is the time period between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. So who lives in the last days? We do. We live in the last days. Timothy also lived in the last days. Okay, so you guys see this? So he's talking about our time period. In the last days, he says, difficult times will come. What does he mean whenever he says difficult times? Keep reading with me. Verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Then he goes on to describe false teachers that are characterized by this. And so he says, look, hard times are coming because godlessness and ungodliness will abound. And then I think connected to that, he picks it up in verse 10. Where he says this, he says, But Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so Paul says, Timothy, difficult days are ahead of you. On your left hand, the tides of ungodliness are rising. On your right hand, 
the tides of suffering and persecution are rising. And so the question is, is how will Timothy, how will he survive? Enter in the second command. Remain in what you've been taught. Cling to the scriptures. And so in Paul's mind, as Timothy, as the flood is rising around him of ungodliness and suffering, he says, you cling to the scriptures like a life preserver. And that is how you will endure. And that is how you will minister effectively in dark days. And so here's the truth, church. Is that the Christian life is difficult. Paul says in Acts 14 that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. How will we endure through the difficulties that lie ahead of us? How will we persevere in the faith? By remaining in what we've been taught, by clinging to the scriptures. Do you see this? And so how will you endure in your faith? By fighting to stay in the word. How will this church be effective in dark days? By fighting to cling to the scriptures. And so think about it like this. What is the difference between chaff that is driven away by the wind and a tree beside streams of water that bears fruit in every season? His delight is in the law of the Lord, meditation in Scripture. You see that? And so even as I tell this to you, I have to be honest, as as I prepared this message, it has driven me to repentance. And the reason it's driven me to repentance is because I find that it's in the times of greatest stress and anxiety in my life that I'm most likely to forsake meeting with God in Scripture. And how stupid is that? It's like, it's like sheathing your sword in the heat of battle. What I want you to see is that the fight to get into the Word is a fight for your life. And so what we see Paul impresses on us in the passage as a whole is the urgency of Scripture. Persevere in the faith by committing to fight to get in the Word every day. And so what this brings us to, I find this, at youth camp every summer, I find myself talking about the same analogy with our teenagers. And that's basically, as I see at camp, as I, as I see students, uh, the Lord working in their lives, new zeal and passion for the gospel, I always tell them this, I say, camp's like lighter fluid, okay? And lighter fluid can be used in one of two ways. All right, if you have a pyromaniac on your hands, what are they going to do with lighter fluid? They just want to see something blow up, right? So for all they care, they'll squirt lighter fluid on the concrete just to watch it blow up and fizzle out. But if you're wanting to actually start a fire for some kind of good use, you're going to put the lighter fluid on on wood, right? And so I always tell the students that camp's the same way. Camp's like lighter fluid. It It can either be a flash and sizzle out, or it can, it can catch a blaze that burns for the rest of your life. And what's the difference? Are you putting wood on your fire? And so what I want to put before you, church, is that as you, as you look at the difficulties and, and the struggle that awaits you as, as you seek to endure in the Christian faith, what's going to keep your fire going? The the commitment to get into the Word is a commitment to continue to put wood on the fire. Will you discipline yourself to continue to feed the flames of your faith in difficult seasons by remaining in the Word? And how will this church continue to be an effective witness of the gospel in this community? By continuing to lay the logs of the Word on the fire. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much uh, for this church. I thank you so much, Lord, for the grace that you've given me through them. Lord, I pray that you would give us an intensity and a tenacity about, about studying your word.
And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be faithful. Faithful to the end. By treasuring your scriptures. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.